I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo here with Mike Renner. That's right, man. We got Mike Renner lonely. Are you a free agent or just left to your own devices? Uh, I'm, I'm just uh, sabbatical is what I think we're calling it. Sabbatical. Well, Which I usually take during the summer anyway. <laughs> that's true. You're rooting for sabbatical. Let's be serious here. So just when I thought I was out. I'm, I'm over here like, what are you going to do? You lost your podcast partner. And it's just, you're like, oh, I hope everybody forgets. I was going to take the summer off is what I was going to do. Summer <laughs> of Mike. What's yes. A, what does the summer of Mike look like? Um, I'm playing a lot of golf. I've started doing yoga. Really? So we're, yeah, we're picking up hobbies. I love seeing you get older. Yeah. Great. You hobbled I'm, in here. You said you I had did. a basketball injury? Oh, yeah. I came in yesterday. I got knocked in the mouth. If you're looking on the YouTube video, I look like a like an IG model with my lip. It's a little bigger than normal. I got knocked in the mouth, almost knocked tooth out, and then I also got uh, hammered in my leg. I'm too old to be playing pickup basketball anymore. Yeah. See, see what I was dealing with yeah, during it's uh, not great. when we were playing hoops. We both have some bright shirts on. I've got my Cool Clinic shirt because I am a five-time. That's the Cool Clinic, the yeah. mushroom? Um, yeah. Is, is so there I a think, reason behind that? Um, so they call it the um, like the Mushroom Society or something because they're all like uh, – Muff- They're fat. They just – they're like a fungus, and they oh, they, okay. they grow in the shade. They just kind of yeah. go off in their corner and do offensive line stuff. I forget the exact explanation. It's on the website. Gotcha. I should know as a five-time keynote speaker, but I've got some bright, and you've got your i got my Illinois. family, my Illinois, yeah. where I grew up, Champaign. So you're here filling in for Sam, who's still on the road. He's got no AC, by the way, so he's going through middle America here. Oh, and that car has no AC. That yeah. makes sense, actually. The air conditioner's out. or not work. It's just not working. Oh, okay. And um, uh, he said it's 90-plus from here on out. He's I, sending me a lot of breakfast comments. He's sending breakfast pictures. We might do a whole show on breakfast across America. I would like to see you actually try to get in that car. It does not yeah. look like it's got legroom. I'll just say that. that is not, it looks a little tight. You know, I, was, um, I might have some video of me in some small cars recently on a little oh, yeah? PFF excursion. Oh. So I might, you know, the E5 could be, could be a challenge. But Sam's still going. Um, you're in. That's my first in-studio guest. I've had a couple guests. We had Rick Spielman, Greg Rosenthal, Trevor Sykema. You're my favorite, though, of the group. It's good Thanks to have you. you here. But what we're talking about is the great PFF Tailgate podcast is no longer. Austin Gale is gone. Bigger Officially invest- today. Officially today. He's out. Getting called up to the big leagues, kind of. We don't know where yet, though. Uh, can we say? I mean, he it. definitely should be able to say he's starting to work there. So, I don't know. He hasn't tweeted it out yet. Though, so, we won't, we'll, we won't steal his thunder. We won't. But... Um, yeah, and so we don't know what's going to happen to uh, to tailgate, man. Um, I I will have a podcast. Yeah, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but I will have one, and it'll, I, I imagine it'll be on the tailgate channel still. So if you want to subscribe, it'll probably you'll probably get my podcast. Yeah, stick with tailgate. Stick with tailgate. We'll find somebody for uh, for Mike, but uh, we'll keep your skills sharp here, and just talk some NFL. 
And, yeah, uh, little reps, game reps. You need reps. You yeah. Need, you, but um, you lost. I mean, you lose some chemistry. You guys, you guys did a really good job of uh, building the brand, having some fun, doing your thing. Podcasting is a lot more about just uh, disseminating information, right? Yes, it is not. It is not reading a spreadsheet, yeah. as the the nerds, uh, as we get called, said say, say we do on the outside. But yeah, yeah it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. It's actually my favorite thing to do about my job. So hopefully, I do get one. At some point, yeah. So you and I don't have the same chemistry, but you know we'll, we'll make it work. We've been I, we no, had some no, good shows back in the day. The draft did. OG draft shows back twenty seventeen was it or sixteen were the best. Were some of the yeah, best shows. Right. Some we of the did best do shows. some good stuff. So yeah. it's good to have you. Back. I like talking ball with you, and um, you've been at PFF for over ten years. We can get into the whole history. I, I liked listening to the last tailgate because I knew the story that was going to come up the day the day you got fired. Yes, because um, I also had a little interaction. Had a fun time that time that too. weekend. Uh, with Neil, I think I think what we realized is sometimes Neil's blood sugar is low, and when his blood sugar is low, you know some some crazy stuff happens. People get fired, you know, you you work twenty hour days, like who knows? You don't know yes. what's going to happen. I think I think that Memorial Day was just a rough weekend. Yeah, sometimes you have to finish twenty games in a week, yeah. and that's that's just how it is. And you have I to, also had to get, do to my keep games. your job. Yeah. I had to do my games that weekend, and I didn't. But here we are. Look at us. Yeah. Look at us. We're still here. Um, so listen to the last tailgate. The most recent tailgate. There's some good stuff on there. The um, the famous John Ross story. It was a lot of mm. infamous John Ross story. Infamous, yeah, not famous. Not great. But um, anyway, what here's what I wanted to get into. Um, I feel like I'm asking all my guests this. Where I, I put biggest NFL storylines in the title. All of our listeners know what I think the biggest storyline is this offseason. Was this massive shift to paying wide receivers and now the movement of elite wide receivers and what that does, the impact. Because I'm a big shiny objects guy, right? I think Devontae Adams elevates an offense. I think Tyreek Hill elevates an offense. A.J. Brown elevates an offense. They're leaving two elite quarterbacks and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and a Ryan Tannehill whose career has completely changed since A.J. Brown got drafted. They're going to new situations. What's that going to do for their old situations and how much can they elevate their new situations? I think this is the biggest story in the NFL this offseason. I 100% agree. And I also think that teams are buying in. And it's something we've said for a yep. few years now that it's not okay to just be a good offense in the NFL anymore. You have to be putting up a lot of, you have to be capable of going toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes, Josh, you have to be, go, be able to put up 40 at a moment's notice to win a Super Bowl or to get in the conversation of the Super Bowl consistently in today's NFL. So saying, oh, we have a nice one, two punch at wide receiver. It's not enough anymore. Yeah. You have to have a lot of guys. And I think we saw that in this year's draft. Finally, teams saying, oh shit, we have to, like, just because we have a guy doesn't mean we're set. So you saw, you know, what was it, six receivers go in the top 16 picks um, or top 18 picks. And it's just like they start flying off the board. Whereas two years ago, whereas I don't think it was that dissimilar in terms of talent-wise from the 2019 wide receiver class where A.J. Brown goes second round, Debo Samuel goes second round, D.K. Metcalf goes second round. Right. Like, if we redo that or if teams sort of had the philosophy that they do now of what they – had back then, back then, had the philosophy they do now, we would have seen a lot of those guys go a lot higher and you would have seen this arms race start earlier because I do think teams are realizing, you know, just having a balanced offensive defense, you're going to be the Titans, basically. You're going to be like, okay, you're going to be in the playoffs, but you're not going to compete for Super Bowls unless you can really light up scoreboards. Yeah, that's an interesting take on if you go back to 2019 and how maybe the NFL has just changed since then. I think yeah. valuing receivers, their impact receivers and volume 
Um, one of the things I think there's more to study, though, is the impact of a true wide receiver one, right? Like, we, mm -hmm. we, we talk a lot about, well, Tyreek Hill dictates coverage. Well, what does that do for the offense? Um, I mean, we, we can... I think we'll be able to point at the end of the season because I think the Chiefs are going to see more man coverage this year. I don't think there's guys on the team that are that mm -hmm. are scary that you can't play man. So we're going to be able to say, okay, here's how teams play the Chiefs with Tyreek Hill and without Tyreek Hill. So he dictates coverage. Or Devontae Adams can take over a game. A.J. Brown absolutely has taken over games. But what's the other effect? What's their gravity? Like how much are they drawing coverage? All that stuff. I think that stuff exists, but it's been hard to quantify. Yeah. Unless you're just saying, but but here's how we'll be able to do it this year. If Derek Carr puts up MVP-like production, mm -hmm. or Tua takes a big step forward, right? Statistically, but maybe his PFF grade is similar. And same thing with uh, Jalen Hurts. Could have a similar PFF grade, and maybe production through the roof. We're able to start quantifying not just having multiple receivers, but having that one guy yeah. that makes everything else better. Yes, I am very interested. And we have some nice case studies in KC and Green Bay, because KC went with the replacement by, you know, a number of guys. Like the, uh, yeah, yeah, like replace one guy with a myriad, kind of like how they replaced their offensive line last year. Let's just bring in every, throw the kitchen sink at it. That's what they did the receiving core. So they have talent there. Maybe it's not top-end talent. I don't think they have any true elite guy. And even Kelsey at his age right now probably wouldn't even qualify as a true elite separator to where, you know, it, it's going to have to be within the scheme. He's not going to be saying, you know, screw it, throw it up to Tyreek, or screw it like Tyreek's open somewhere. That's not going to be in the game plan, and obviously defense aren't going to have to account for it, whereas Aaron Rodgers and the Packers replaced it with not the same caliber of names. You know, they replaced it with nobodies. And, and now Rodgers, the whole you know, last six games without Devontae, 17 touchdowns, one pick, over 300 yards a game. Like, yes, he has done well without Devontae Adams. But, but by the way, Mahomes has similar stats that, like, five-game stretch that Tyreek mm -hmm. Hill was out. Yeah. So, but it's, those are small samples. But again, yes, that is yes. a very small sample size. And it's like, it's usually the duds that really show out where you have no one to get the ball to that we'll see if those prop up more often this season. Yeah, I mean, Rodgers had what, one game without Devontae last year? It was the Cardinals game. Um, and a lot yeah. of people use that as like, well, they went in and they beat the undefeated Cardinals. Like Rodgers, the offense wasn't that, game that was good. That game was a joke. Yes. That, that game was an absolute... Like the what they did offensively, and, and now it was more than just Devonte, right? They had a couple guys. Yeah, out I think Lazard, Lazard was out as well. They so, had COVID issues. Yeah, they had no. It was basically you know, even a worse version of this year's wide receiving core, and it just turned the offense into you know, side side screens left and right. So that would be the concern. I mean, so the, there's also a difference too. I think when you're when you're losing a receiver and you have to kind of like adjust on the fly versus they're going into the season knowing what they're dealing with. But again, I just. I'm always of the mind. So here's the phrase I've used recently. I don't want to know what Patrick Mahomes looks like without Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I don't want to live in that or that level of receiver. I don't want to live in that world if I'm the Chiefs. So I want to make that. Well, they drafted Sky Moore, so they're not going to have to. They did draft Sky Moore, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, and we love Sky Moore, but no, it's but like, yeah. what, what is Sky what Moore plus Juju plus Valdez Scanling plus whatever's left of Michael Hardman? How is that going to add up when. Look, there are just plays where Tyree Kill, you throw a 13-yard little in-cut, and he takes it to the house, right? I'm not – that's how they beat the Bills, right? I mean, you yeah. just – like, hey, Tyree Kill, go take over this game. You and Kelsey, the Chiefs don't have that anymore. But is that is this going to be better for Mahomes' development, or is he going to come back down to earth? No, I 100% agree with you that if, like, I'm Chiefs brass, yeah. I would have – I probably would have done more to try to keep Tyree Kill. Yeah. And obviously, the cap situation dictated 
having to move on from him, what he wanted contract wise. And like the deal they got by all means do that because like you said, I don't want to have to figure out, you know, I, I skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith are probably licking their chops thinking about like Patrick Mahomes fall from grace. If it doesn't yeah. work out for him this year, like everyone, every morning show is like wants it not to go well. I think they did a good job of replacing it. But like, if I was the chiefs, like that is a duo that, Again, like you said, Tyreek Hill, what he does to change games is not something I would have wanted in an ideal world to see Patrick Holmes go without. The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week and the highest scores at the end of the year win. The champion of best ball mania last year drafted right here in June, so there's no time better then right now, to join Underdog, take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, here's the deal. Underdog is going to give you double your first deposit, up to $100, when you sign up with the promo code PFF. And you also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. It's a no-brainer. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with the code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. That's a great deal. we get some other great deals for you later in the show. So yeah, this is, um, look, I, from Mahomes' standpoint, I still think he's awesome. Yeah. You know, we did get a question on Twitter, like which which quarterback would you start a franchise with today? You know, is, is this changing? You know, I think last year at this time, it's like, well, definitely Mahomes. You know, maybe there's other, there's, I think you could make an argument for Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert probably mm -hmm. in that conversation right now, or Lamar, or whoever you want to say, but. Not Lamar. Probably not Lamar <laughs> with those guys. But I would still say Mahomes, right? Yeah. Um, however, I think he came back down to earth a little bit last year, but that's the those are the ebbs and flows of just playing football. Like not everybody's going to have a say a ninety plus PFF grade every year, but this is the first time we're going to see can he expand his skill set a little bit, not rely on those top two guys. Um, sometimes it works, you know. Deshaun Watson lost DeAndre Hopkins, had his best season. Matthew Stafford lost Calvin Johnson, kind of had seasons where he got better, you yeah. know, not relying on just the one guy. Um, at the same time, again, I don't. I don't know if I want to live in that world for a while. But the Chiefs' overall roster got just a lot of talent, right? The same way the Packers might have their best defense with Rodgers, right? They yeah. added a lot there. The Titans are going to be the curious one because, again, Ryan Tannehill, you could say, hey, it's, it's Tennessee, it's Derrick Henry. That's what reju rejuvenated his career. I'm like, man, I think it's AJ. I think it's having AJ Brown and, and just how special he is. So I think yeah. this is just something to track. Yeah, third. For, uh, yeah, thirty-year-old Robert Woods off an ACL is not, not the same. Robert Woods plus uh, plus Traylon Burks. I want to talk some some rookies. I, let's. I want to look back at this last year's rookie class okay. a little bit. So 2021 rookies. When I look back at what Micah Parsons and Kyle Pitts. So like the non quarterbacks. You ever seen a group that looked like like unicorns, right? Guys that. We were joking, like, don't look for the next Micah Parsons. Don't look for the next Kyle Pitts. Don't look for the next whoever. I feel like last year's draft class had a bunch of those types of guys. Yes. I uh, I think I said – I, I did say a lot prior to last year's draft. I'm like, this one feels a lot like 2011 draft. Yeah. And now, obviously, I wasn't doing draft stuff in 2011. I was a junior at Notre Dame. But – it felt like just going in, someone asked, you know, who's going to bust in the top 10? I'm like, I don't think any of these guys are going to bust. Yeah. You know, maybe some of these opt-out guys, if they sat on their ass for a whole year. But even then, I, that's not how this works. Like, those guys opted out to improve their game as much as possible. Not 
in just, a just team to go set, back so to go back to 2011 really yeah. quick it's the year there were there were a ton of quarterbacks at the top cam newton number one and jake locker goes number eight blaine gabbert goes 10 christian ponder goes 12 so people were going to get their quarterbacks but all around those guys you have von miller Marcel Darius, who had a run, but wasn't special. But Vaughn yeah. Miller, special. A.J. Green, Patrick Peterson, Julio Jones, all special. Alden Smith was special for a chunk of his career before running into issues. Yeah, I mean. Tyron yeah. Smith, J.J. Watt, right? Robert mm. Quinn had his run. Ryan Kerrigan. I mean, just really good. The top 15 is crazy I mean, with five really of, good football Yeah, players. five of the top 11 may be Hall of Famers. Yes. Which is insane just to think about. So you're you're comparing 2021, so the class that we just saw. Yeah, I guess once a decade. Rookies. It's a once in a decade class. Once in a decade, <laughs> perfect. Um, but I think that um, there was just so many. Like I don't, Mike Parsons. I haven't seen a prospect like that. Knowing what we know now, the fact that the dude just rolled up to edge defender from linebacker and and looked like Lawrence Taylor, um, that just doesn't happen very but, often. Yeah, I mean, he looked like. Yazi looked like what Von Miller looked like as a rookie. Right. It's just like he's so freakishly athletic. He doesn't really have a refined game, but you just you know he's going to clown every tackle that is can't match his speed. And every game he basically did went up against a below average right tackle. It was over. He, he could not be blocked. So. Jamar Chase. So the guys that are around that, right? Mm -hmm. So you have Kyle Pitts, who is you know just a completely different tight end slash wide receiver it like almost gets underrated yeah after because of what jamar chase did and some of these other guys did went oh by the way he went for a thousand yards and, and you <laughs> make a tight point end. a lot at tight end those guys do not hit the ground running yeah. you don't see that often but year two and three like if they're special even a gronk or a kelsey like they they were good the, you know the first year mm -hmm. they played but then they became special by year two, I believe it was. I know it was for Gronk, but well, by Kelsey, had, Kelsey was, was hurt his first year. He was year. hurt, but the and second then, year, they, yeah. that's why I said second year that he played, yeah. I believe, it was like, oh, okay, this Travis Kelsey guy. We're probably going to get that from Pitts next year. Jamar Chase was an immediate wide receiver one. Panay Sewell, as much as we overthought his preseason at right tackle, became a very good right tackle. Yes. And him and Rayshon Slater, you know, look like two of the better tackles going forward. Uh, Micah Parsons, who I mentioned. I mean, so there are whole bunch of special players and then the other similarity to 2011 is like where are all the quarterbacks QBs. coming from and we thought the quarterbacks were going to be the strength of the class yeah so we didn't prep for anything i just I'm putting you on the spot as far as what do you think where are these quarterbacks going to go in year two Ooh. are we going to see trevor lawrence and zach wilson let's start at the top trevor lawrence and zach wilson how bad was year one how concerning is year one and what are they going to do in year two i'll say i was concerned about lawrence until week 18. The game he had against the Colts was everything that he was billed as. Yeah. Against top-tier defense, not a ton of help, showed the entire skill set. So I'm not worried about Lawrence. What I am worried about is the team they've built around him. You could still make an argument they have a bottom five O-line and receiving core. At, at, at best, it's a bottom 10 O-line receiving core. Uh, there's no argument that it's a top 20. And they are better. Like They've upgraded. Better. And they've upgraded, but yeah. it's still not great. So that's the worry, in my opinion, with Trevor Lawrence. Wilson obviously has no excuses, but he's the one of this bunch that I would actually be concerned about because there wasn't market improvement. And obviously coming from BYU, coming from a situation he played in, we didn't expect a monster rookie year. He played behind the best offensive line in college football, was under pressure, just none, working from massive pockets, could do whatever he wanted. And again, low-level competition because uh, no one in uh, Power 5 played any of the group of five teams last year so, or, or the independents like BYU. So he kind of was always going to struggle, but you thought you wanted to see it get better. And 
there, there's not a game to point to where it's like, yeah, that's the Zach Wilson that not we thought we'd slightly get. Slightly better, but not drastically. Yes. There's throws. There's play, yeah. And that's kind of the, the – if you're going to hang your hat on anything, the high end was still there at times. Like yeah. outside the pocket, some beautiful throws on his tape. Um, a, a number, and especially when Elijah Moore started getting running, a number of throws to him as well that I liked, but he was decent against the Bucks. I think second to last week of the season mm-hmm. for like three quarters, Until right? It was like, Oh, this is his game. This is yeah. his game. And then the, the fourth quarter, the jets collapsed and, and that was Wilson collapsed. Collapse. Right. It was a bad collapse. Um, so yeah, that's, that's part of the issue mm-hmm. with Zach Wilson. Um, Trey Lance. We don't know. Uh, I do still think he's just going to, if they start him in San Francisco, I mean, there's still a chance that it's Garoppolo's team for one more year. That's <sighs> so weird. Such that's a weird a possibility. Situation. Um, but if it's Trey Lance, I really think he's gonna just re- just improve their run game. Yeah, add special throws to the mix. But you're gonna have to deal with you know he's throwing the ball to corners a lot. Yeah. in the preseason and in the few regular season attempts that we saw from him. So and he was the youngest of the bunch, and he didn't play a year. So 320 FCS dropbacks. He played JUCO yeah. too, but 320. Yeah, NCAA dropbacks. That is the lowest since Michael Vick. That was that's how inexperienced Trey Lance was as a major college football passer, and again, he did it at the FCS level for whatever that's worth. Yeah. So, it, so um, he could very well have. I'm not gonna. I don't want to say he's Josh Allen, but like Josh Allen, year three was a different guy. It may yeah. were, very well be year three when he's a different guy. I think I asked you this before on the show, and I asked um, Spielman a couple weeks ago. Rosen, I I asked a lot of the same questions to the various guests. How how have things changed here? Because the 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 development of the toolsy quarterbacks, the guys with big arms, mm-hmm. athleticism, um, accuracy issues at some point that they've maybe fixed, decision making issues that they fixed. That's this is Mahomes, mm-hmm. this is Josh Allen, this is Justin Herbert. Um, I think you could throw Lamar in in there because I think he's mitigated accuracy issues and overcome it with being a great athlete. Is it just easier for that to, to happen in today's NFL? Have we just hit a run? Are these the players that we need to run to because the NFL is developing them better? Like, what's happening in recent NFL QB development? Your guess is good. You probably have a better yeah. idea than I do. It, and it probably comes down to a lot of, like, throwing mechanic, like, like why people are throwing 100 in baseball every left and right. Is that yeah. like, throwing mechanics have developed to, like, a science, like a real, like, you better be doing this or you're – missing the boat sort of science to where I do think that that's a big part of it is that just access to better instruction about how to be more accurate Footwork. is a big thing that I don't, obviously people cared about quarterbacks, like developing quarterbacks, whatever, but there was not this emphasis that there was even a decade ago. I'd... Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for some of those guys too, NFL offense is becoming easier for the most part, mm-hmm. right? So if you're creating more open throws on the underneath stuff, then you could kind of like lean on the guys that are yes. doing special stuff. You talk about like hitting the deep crosser and some of those things where it's like those guys do it. But the Cody Kesslers of the world maybe can't do that as often, but but they're leveling the playing field on the stuff yeah. that maybe a Cody Kessler does well. Yeah, it's like how many times for you know Patrick Mahomes deep ball to Tyreek Hill? How many times is it a down the sideline go ball that was kind of the in vogue? How you hit a deep ball and. 20 years ago 
not often. Not, not at all. They like, hit one. Almost never. But. They hit one. I think it was the Steelers game. And yeah. I was like, man, I actually don't remember how many times, like, seeing Mahomes just, like, drop back, hit yeah. his back foot, and throw an and in-rhythm go ball. Go ball. It's just, that's not where the NFL is going down the football field. There's a lot of eye candy underneath to get guys, like, cross, like, deep overs, deep posts, that sort of thing, that you're working with far more space than when you're working over the middle of the field. So it's a slightly different world. So does that underrate Mac Jones? So just to wrap up last year's QB class. Well, I think that's why everyone was off Mac Jones. It's yeah. like that stuff takes arm talent. So that, that is obviously Mac Jones doesn't have elite, doesn't even have, I'd say it's probably below average in terms of just the 32 starters in the NFL. He is on the lower end, probably in the bottom 10 or so, just in terms yeah. of pure arm talent. Still winnable. Joe Burrow's in the bottom 10 in terms of pure arm talent. But Joe Burrow hits go balls in his sleep, and that's the Bengals' offense because he can do that. Um, Mac Jones has just struggled with that deep area of the field, and it's kind of chicken and the egg, too, with the personnel he's had there with the Patriots, not having a ton of speed, not having a ton of guys open at that level of the field. But I do think that's just never going to be the best aspect of his game. But I do – I do think he's still going to be a very good starter for a long time. Yeah, we it's had – uh, when Greg Rosenthal was on the show – he was like, hey, look, I am I might be too much of a Patriots apologist for this, but he was basically saying, hey, are we underrating Mac Jones? Like, uh, we hyped up all these quarterbacks. All of them had issues. Um, Justin Fields had issues, and everybody just kind of blamed his coach. But, like, everybody had issues. Mm-hmm. And Mac Jones is the only one that went out there and, like, was by far the best. Now, he wasn't perfect either. You know, he had some games where the Patriots didn't rely on him. He had some games and, where and he was And his second great, half but... of the season was worse than his first half which was interesting. Yeah. Usually you would think it'd be opposite for a rookie. How much do we even – I always think back to what we did with Sam Darnold. There, his last four games um, – his last four games of his rookie season, Sam Darnold was really good. And it looked like, oh, this is what rookies do. They get better late. You know, yeah. You have excitement for Sam Darnold into year two, and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how much do we overrate – when things happen that's a good that's a very um, good point because and do we and even like what you said about trevor lawrence because i thought week four cause I, I love the storyline right because like week four they come into cincinnati i think it was four um when did urban end up when was urban at the club was it week four uh, <laughs> it was week, early on it was week four or five, was whatever it was Not i thought club, that though. was like the turning point for trevor lawrence it makes I for a that. good story and it didn't didn't mm-hmm. happen right not everything's that clear cut yes um so even if mac jones season was in reverse a little bit does that even matter no i i don't think so and going back and looking at guys who are like the second year breakout guys there's not a lot of common threads that align them like aj terrell last year was all pro caliber cornerback after just a below average rookie season like for a rookie first round pick there was not a lot to write home about aj Terrell's first first season and they turned into an all pro so there's a lot of positions where it's just like you know, year one to year two is just very, very different. And to me, the Lawrence thing wasn't that it came in week 18. It was just that he showed that high end right. to begin with. You know, that was the type of game that, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick probably could have had that game, but Andy Dalton couldn't have had the game that Trevor Lawrence had in week 18. Like the, the kind of guys who turn out to be middling, below average starters that are just, like I said, your Andy Daltons of the world, your Jimmy Garoppolo's of the world, I don't think they could have gone out there and had the game that Lawrence did. And that's always what's going to be attractive for Trevor Lawrence. I, I do yeah. think with Doug Peterson this year, things should be better. Mm-hmm. But I wonder how much of a big step Lawrence needs to take here. You know, if he takes a, a small step forward, are we concerned? Like, he's he's still far away from that potential because yeah. we're, still, we're still talking potential. 
with Trevor Lawrence. I want to get into this year's drafts because we haven't been able to, I know you had your draft reviews, but we'll review this year's draft a little bit, some of the rookies and things to look at for this year. But first, a reminder that the PFF NFL podcast is brought to you by Cash App. Cash App is the easiest way to send, spend, and save your money. You can send or request money from your friends when they owe you dinner, drinks, literally anything. Besides just sending money back and forth with Cash App, you can invest in stocks with as little as $1 as well as buy, sell, and send Bitcoin instantly. Cash App also lets you design your own debit card completely free to spend money anywhere you'd like. Cash App will laser print it, mail it to you all for free. And the card comes with free discounts at your favorite places called Boosts. Sign up for Cash App today. Use the referral code TOUCHDOWN, which gives new users $15. That's promo code TOUCHDOWN for $15 free dollars over at Cash App. All right, Mike, uh, again, d does the draft, for me, sometimes uh, a month after the draft, I was like, what happened? Like, I just, all this information was in my head, a step away from it. I don't even remember who got drafted. I don't even remember what's happening. Uh, is it all fresh in your head, or did you just, you're in summer Mike mode here? Uh, it, it's somewhat fresh. I'm, I'm taking a refresher right now. I, I am on to 2023, admittedly. Yeah. I want to do a quick But not too preview. deep into 2023, because I've been taking a few weeks off, but yeah. Yeah, I want to do a quick preview on... Um, on 2023 and just what we're looking at because 2020 every draft is different yeah. um, but the 2022 draft felt like okay we don't know who the quarterbacks are still thought a bunch would go in the first round and they didn't mm -hmm. I didn't think that the talent level as much as we talked about last year's draft and the elite talent I didn't think that lived in the 2022 class here this yes. year it was more spread out I think the NFL even acknowledged that they were like hey the strength of this draft is like Round three and four, as far as like relative to when very you deep. get, yeah. yeah, when you get picks, players in rounds three and four, mm -hmm. it's deeper this yeah. year, and you saw teams play that out. So who who did you like as far as the draft goes? And we'll get into some of like the more specific rookie situations. I, one of the picks I really loved, obviously, the Lions landing Hutchinson was fantastic, but Derek Stanley going to Houston, Sauce Gardner going to the Jets, I thought was very much just common sense prevailing. Yeah, in a class where. We were saying there's not a lot of top end talents, not a lot of top end talents. Those guys are top end talents. It would be I'd be very hard pressed to see either of those guys not being successful NFL cornerbacks with the skill sets they displayed. And the Stingley overthinking was mind numbing to me at times in the pre draft process. I was just like, this guy is insane. It was like the Derwin James overthinking. It's like, yeah. show me the negatives. Oh, you know, like oh wait, point, on. point to one rep against UCLA. It's a negative. Please yeah. pause. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no. We do not say that player's name on the podcast. Oh. The guy on the Chargers who's now number okay. three. We just refer to him as Jerwin Dames. Okay. You Sorry. Can use Jerwin Dames works. <laughs> but uh, if we could just cut that out, please. Mike's going to get banned from the podcast. If, uh, That's on me. If he tears his Achilles in oh. OTAs or something. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. every, it's like every That's... time we hype him, you know, there's. We're just trying to keep him healthy, is all we're doing. Okay. I'm talking about college Jerwin. Um, yeah. Yeah. That guy. But that guy, different player altogether. Yeah. But. It's like, show me negatives from his, show me that many negatives. And there, there were some in terms of like effort. He was not as locked in, but physical capability was still the guy we saw as a true freshman that is absolutely insane in what he can do. So yeah, I, I love that. And then the sauce Gardner fit to Robert Salas defense is just perfect. I mean, I, it was, we got told when we mocked it a bunch that they don't cover they the corner. Would they were never, never going to take a corner. Well, it's like maybe they would never take a corner. Sauce Gardner is how you'd build a corner for that defense. So if you're going to pass Sauce Gardner, you will actually never take a corner uh, in the first round. So that would have taken some commitment. And I'm just glad that, I guess, 
what I thought and what I would have done prevailed in that situation. I listened to uh, Joe Douglas's press conference after the fact to hear about that, right? Because mm -hmm. I do agree with Jets fans that they covet pass rushers, right? But what, and I was trying to dig into um, Spielman a little bit with how teams do this. You like we talk a lot in PFF, but like the media space is a lot about positional value and. But I'm always curious, like, when does positional value show up in their boards, right? Because you want to put a player grade on a player. Mm -hmm. So even if you call Saquon Barkley, he's a nine, right? The famous gentleman thing. He's a yes. nine. But when I asked Spielman, I said, do you have a vertical board or horizontal? He said, only a horizontal board. And for our listeners, the horizontal board is basically, here's where I would draft these, this chunk of players. And they're in order, but they're in a chunk, right? Here's yeah. this chunk of players I would take at 10 through 20 or whatever your cutoffs are. Um, so he only worked off a horizontal board. So I'm always wondering, like, where in that process does it show up? So if the Jets truly do covet pass rushers, that might be the case. But something would have happened where they're like, I, I value Sauce Gardner either as, more as a player or because he plays corner. Or, or we overcame the fact that he plays corner, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? Because we value edges. They valued him so much that they took him over, say, Jermaine Johnson, who they had in their top 10 on their board. Like these other... Yes. potential edge defenders that process is just interesting to me because i think we talk about it like oh yeah of course positional value but i like i'm always wondering like where do nfl teams bake that in is it to the player grades and i'm not asking you i'm just yeah you know, I, conversing I, here it is interesting like is it is it in the player can you say saquon barkley is the best running back i've ever seen however i wouldn't take him before 20 put him on the horizontal board at 20 and we kind of go through this exercise uh -huh. a little bit too right when we're putting boards together um it, it's just an interesting thing to and, me. and it's why i hate doing a top 250 yeah is it's nonsensical in a draft room like right. you said you're you would never just work off a pure vertical draft board like this guy's gone well then we're taking this guy this guy's right. gone then we're taking this guy it's like those conversations to be had with each pick um and with a fit and, and like there are guys that are equal in your eyes a lot and there's oftentimes tears where it's like these three you know, last year was the ot class top of the ot class i'm like they're really indistinguishable in terms of not like obviously they have their different strengths and weaknesses, but in terms of quality of prospects. So if I'm at the top, I'm begging to get down to the bottom. It was like 2019 or 2020 as well, when it was like Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Mekhi Becton, um, Jedrick Wills. And obviously we didn't have Mekhi Becton in that tier, but the top three we did. And we're like, well, we were, you know, if we're the Giants at four, said drafting Thomas, we just want to get back and get one of them yeah. is all you'd get want. So I think a lot of times that has to factor into play in your draft decisions, but how much that does. I would be curious to see, obviously, we don't have that insight. One of the comments that came up in uh, another post-draft press conference, I was listening to the Browns recently, and they made a comment that the NFL did a good job in this draft, picking players where they were expected to go. This was their take on it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he was saying, I, f um, I think it was actually Paul DePodesta, so the guy that, um, from Moneyball and all that stuff that's in the numbers. And I think he, he said something to the effect of, you know, four or five years ago, there would be players coming off the board where it's like, okay, that's way earlier than just our expectations. And he was saying this year, maybe other than Cole Strange. Well, Gruden was in the league. Is probably and maybe he's not it's not now. Just, yeah. <laughs> maybe it was just Gruden, but no, keep going. It's true. Not every it was Gruden, like it was every Gruden, Gruden draft and was, Mayock. Yeah, um, that was like I think um, turnover worthy plays went down across the league last year, and I think that's just because Jameis was hurt. Over the last two years, they've been down because Jameis hasn't been yeah. a, a starter. It's a needle you know? mover. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was really interesting to me. And even as, I, as I've studied other drafts, so I was just kind of studying drafts recently, and I was like, man, if, if you use some PFF information 
to a T back in say 2017, 18 or 19, you would have found some steals. And I feel like I'll, we've, we've kind of helped influence maybe board ranking and big board rankings and, and, and things like that. So I think, I think teams, the, the bottom line was it's, he it sounded like teams are just doing a better job of drafting players where they're slotted. So maybe there's fewer edges in even, you know, finding steals yeah. than there were just because there's so much more information out there and teams are doing a better job. I don't know if you've noticed that at all. We talked a lot about the Cole Strange thing being 70 picks higher than we would have taken him, but maybe an outlier in this in this year's draft. I do. I would agree with that sentiment that I do think teams have gotten better in my time of doing the draft in terms of not really reaching for these athletic projecty guys. That's just like that's not the swing you want to be taking, sort of players that are way down other people's boards, sort of players. So any other drafts? I did you, we all liked the Ravens. Everybody yeah, seemed to like what they did. Universally. Yeah. Like praised. Could, people could, were falling all over themselves to praise. Uh, there are two drafts I would like to highlight, though. Yeah. One's the Chiefs. Obvious reasons. That, that was probably the closest I've ever seen a team draft off the field. They used your draft board, man. I've never <laughs> seen, I think of their first four picks, you know, five picks, four were the top guy yeah. on the PFF draft board, which never happens. Like some, we'll say teams get like steals and like maybe like three straight steals, but it's still maybe not the top guy on the PFF board. They were legitimately the top guy when it was uh, their first their first rounders in Trent McDuffie and George Karloff to second rounder in Sky Moore, and then uh, the back end of the third in Leo Chanel. We're all the top guy at the time, which is insane. So that one. Then the other one I really want to highlight, and this team has made a lot of good moves, in my opinion of late and it may not come to roost just yet but the detroit lions mm. yeah we rarely say a trade-up is sort of in a good value proposition but what the trade-up they did for jameson williams was in my opinion great value and, and compare him to a wide receiver that went four picks later in john dotson i don't think it's close to the caliber of player you're getting and so love that for them aiden hutchin obviously love that he felt it too josh pascal like a universally like great draft via the pff draft board and a great draft for attacking valuable positions yeah which is just was the massive downfall to bob quinn we kept saying what the hell are they doing they they had a three-year stretch where their top 50 picks were an off-ball linebacker a running back a center a tight end and another off-ball linebacker you're yeah. you you had five valuable picks and you took the three least valuable positions in the nfl what was three the year, of the least valuable positions in the was NFL. it 2019 or 18 where it looked like they were just building their I formation. It was like, we're going to get a fullback. I mean, they got him late, but like they, they drafted a, a run-blocking draft tight end. Well, they got Hawkinson, I think. It was the, that, that year. Like You got a good yeah. run-blocking tight end. Who's better than that? But a tight end, a fullback, a running back. Hawkinson to buy. Yeah. You know, an off-ball linebacker and all that stuff. Yeah. Or it's just like, those guys can hit. And Frank Ragnow, great example. He hit. Great center. The offense sucked. Yeah. Because <laughs> Centers don't do shit for you. And not to say they don't do shit for you, but it's like great center versus average center will not really that change the caliber. That can't be the your... only thing yeah. that you're attacking. And now I, I do think Ragnar is a part of this, but I think they have a nice offensive line, mm -hmm. a nice foundation there. And then I think it's top five line in the NFL. Absolutely. They, and they, have that, they absolutely have that potential when they're all healthy. What we saw from Panay Sewell at right tackle, Taylor Decker's still there, a very good left mm -hmm. tackle. And now you're adding more valuable positions, right? Like going into last year, it's like, who were their receivers? You got Amon Rasein. I mean, that's also like when you're a rebuilding team, 
I, I'm like every year trying to give hope for this team that's going to win two games. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you're trying to find guys that are going to be a part of the rebuild. You have fourth round pick Amonra St. Brown, who had a very good season. It's like, all right, he's a part of the rebuild. Now you added Jameson Williams to that. Uh, St. Brown's not going to be a one, yeah. I don't think. You know, yeah. he's going to be a nice complimentary piece, but you're adding pieces there. You're adding to your defensive line. You're adding to the, to the more valuable positions after you've got this pretty good foundation that you built there in Detroit. Um, a lot of PFF-ers, our nerds, Mike, were skeptical of the trade-up by oh. the Lions because we have his our, you know, draft sim and all that stuff, trade sim, values picks more yeah. almost always. I think there's arguments on both sides. And we are at this mm-hmm. um, crossroads in trading where every team has their own, you know, trade chart and every team, you know, but they're always kind of using the Jimmy Johnson as a, you also kind of have to know who you're trading with. Like, yeah. does, this, does this team value Jimmy Johnson? And if they do, we'll give them what they want because we're going to well, find the Vikings our value. damn sure do not. What's value, that? The Vikings oh, obviously do not value The Vikings Jimmy don't. Johnson, I mean, they're working so, off yeah. their own stuff That's and, they, they and picking in volume. My, my justification for this though is, like if you trade it up, even if, like I love Devin Lloyd, but he's a linebacker. Like if if you trade mm-hmm. it up to go get Devin Lloyd, who I think is going to be a very good player, the upside isn't there. The upside with a Jamison Williams, and I, I'm yes. like I'm okay chasing some level of upside in the draft, not from a player eval standpoint, but from positionally, right? This this idea that a, a speed receiver is going to have this residual effect on your offense and stuff. So I just love Jamison Williams and I love speed, so I, I so I justify it. I'm That's, okay with it. And it's also sort of not to say this roster couldn't have used more talent. There weren't a lot of starting spots in this roster available, yeah. truthfully. Um, they have a lot of guys. They drafted a bunch of DTs last year. They have a deep edge group now. They have, you know, the other positions that you say they need, that like they need to fill, are like off ball linebacker and maybe safety to like help. Like those are obviously they could have gotten a good one the second round. I thought there were deep classes in both those positions into day two, but a true number one wide receiver, a guy like James Williams with his speed, was not going to be there. Never is going to be there at the back end of the first round like that. So pairing him with DJ Chark, obviously Chark one year deal, Williams ACL whatever. But if that's your receiving court going forward with Amon Ross St. Brown, I think you're happy about that. Any other rookies in particular or situations or teams that you want to highlight coming out of the draft? Like, who are we Who are we looking at that we're just going to say, hey, this guy's, this guy's going to have a great – who's going to hit the ground running as a rookie? And while you're thinking about that, let's go back to the Trayvon Walker pick. Do we really have quick, to? Really quick there. <laughs> because, the, look – Again, I, there's, PFF has many different personalities and mm-hmm. opinions and stuff like that. There are some of us that would be purely numbers-based who might take a less tactful approach and say, Jacksonville, you guys are idiots for drafting Trayvon Walker. There are others who try to, you know, others of us who try to bring a little bit more nuance and try to say, well, here's what the Jaguars were thinking. And then, you know, so, there, so where do you land on this? I, I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have made that pick. But I can at least describe what the Jaguars were thinking with – the fact that Trayvon, like we haven't seen anybody work out yeah. like him. Yeah. Really haven't. So it's fi- size, length, and all that stuff. So I kind of get it. I wouldn't do it, but I kind of get it. Like where do you land on how they landed on Trayvon Walker? Yeah. I Versus Aiden Hutchinson, right? I mean, it's, it's really they chose Walker over Hutchinson. What's going into that process to, to choose one over the other? I truthfully am, I was floored. I, I you didn't think it was actually going to happen? I did not think it was yeah. actually going to happen because – I just don't think Balky's going to be able to see out his tenure or like see out 
by the time Trayvon Walker comes good. If that ever happens. Buck, he's not like he's not going to be there because Trayvon Walker is going to would I would bet a lot of money he makes a very little impact as a rookie and you're, if your number one overall picks not doing shit on a defensive line that obviously needs help in year one yeah and you bottom out again or it's, you miss the playoffs again I, I don't see how that can justify especially with how pissed the fan base is with him ready I don't think I can justify that I, like I'm not hubris enough to sit here and say there's no way Trayvon Walker's ever gonna be better than Ian Hutchinson of course but there's no way right now that he's better than Aiden Hutchinson. You know, like right now, I can tell you Aiden Hutchinson's better. Yeah. And year one, I can tell you Aiden Hutchinson, if healthy, will be more productive on an NFL football field. And it's not like Aiden Hutchinson's a slouch athletically. It's not like right. we're comparing Chase Winovich to Rashawn Gary here. Is, you know? Is there, is there a concern with Hutchinson, though? Because, again, I always said, well, he's not a – have we been too blessed with the Boses, Miles Garrett, and Chase Young? I mean, they are the pinnacle mm -hmm. of edge prospects – who stepped onto campus, looked like future number one overall picks, never deviated from that. They all went in the top three only because there were quarterbacks that went ahead of them a couple times, right? Mm -hmm. Aiden Hutchinson wasn't that guy. Like on our draft board going into last year, like at this time last year, Hutchinson's in the 20s or 30s, wherever he was, whereas a Bosa or a Garrett or a Chase Young were always top five, top three, top one on the draft board. Is that a concern for Hutchinson that he wasn't this wire-to-wire -wire prospect and even the final product wasn't at their level so it made it more difficult for Balky he's like I got the top pick there's no slam dunk e edge I'm going to choose this hypothetical upside over the safer yeah. looking player I, Hutchinson was good as sophomore but he was also a different player sophomore and they got hurt as junior yeah. so we didn't get to see that but you know he was 285 back then 260 now so a different type of player altogether in like his usage and what he brings to the table and was always well, he's also the other thing he got not talked about enough with him was he's super young for a senior coming out he's only i believe two months older than nick bosa was when he got drafted and nick bosa obviously was a true junior coming out so i can kind of forgive the fact that as a true sophomore at i believe he would have been 19 years old then that he wasn't a completely dominant specimen as a completely again different type of player so uh yeah i i just i didn't think it warranted overthinking at the top of the draft and that Aiden Hutchinson was just good enough that you could chalk up an easy W that, quite frankly, the Jaguars need, you know? Are there any other uh, any other rookies or situations that you're looking at where guys are going to have an immediate impact? Yeah, I guess there's a couple that I'm very curious about. One is to see how the Bengals' room shakes out. They, I, I love their approach yeah. to this draft. You, know, you already have one of the deeper secondaries in the NFL, and adding a versatile safety and a versatile corner to it with your top two picks, especially with what you're going to have to go to to get back to the Super Bowl. So it's Daxton Hill, Cam Taylor-Britt. Where did you have Daxton Hill? We had him listed as a safety on the board. He basically played a slot role at Michigan. I think he should play corner, truthfully, yeah. in the NFL. What he played at Michigan was very much more akin, in my opinion, to like a corner in the league. And traits-wise... He's, he's six foot with a six foot seven inch wingspan. Yeah. I think he has a longer wingspan than uh, is about the same wingspan as Ahmad Gardner does. And I was raving about Ahmad Gardner and what he could do at the line of scrimmage. Dax Nell could be that guy. So with four, three speed, with obviously incredible change of direction drills that he had at the combine, like he could be that guy. And Cam Trailer Britt, even though he played corner at Nebraska, like he's one of the best tacklers, one of the best hitters. He could even play safety. So you could have those guys flip flopped. And just 
that was kind of the Bengals' MO, though. One week they'd play man-heavy, one week they'd go zone-heavy. Like, Lou Anarumo wants guys that can do a lot of different things so that he can himself do a lot of different things. So I'm curious to see where those guys shake out. And the other one that, as a homer, I'm very curious to see how it shakes out is the Packers' defense. Yeah. Not the wide receiving core because I don't think not a homer as either much of those as guys you're are an owner. Yeah, as know. much as an actual yeah. I'm invested right. in them, quite literally. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see how good this Packers defense is. On paper, it's easily the best defense I think they've had since 2010, since they won the Super Bowl. And you know, Quay Walker was good. and was good. Uh, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, like are those immediate impact guys that move the needle and push this defense into you know, legitimate shutting down sort of territory, top three, top five in the NFL sort of territory, because on paper, it looks like they could be. They have a very good secondary. Linebacker's been like the annual issue, but you have Devondre Campbell who broke out. Who just And then you get insane. Devondre Campbell comp, Quay yeah. Walker. I mean, they might have the best tackling linebackers in the NFL right now. Like Campbell was the best tackling linebacker last year. Quay Walker, easily the best in the draft. What, he missed three tackles? all last year walker walker i think yeah. three in his career in his career i want to say when i was watching walker i just the, the word it's interesting because he's so athletic and long mm -hmm. and checks all the measurables boxes and I, i'm th i'm just thinking he's safe he's mm -hmm. just a safe yeah. linebacker he doesn't give up big plays he tackles makes the expected play he's oddly he's like the linebacker version of trayvon walker where it's just like he's so smooth so athletic there's no real high end to his tape, but there's no low end either yeah. that you're really worried about. I, I think that plays a lot more linebacker, though, than it does off the For edge, sure. rushing the passer, because you kind of need the high end rushing the passer. At linebacker, if you're not making TFLs, if you're not you know, making splash picks, but you're not in the wrong position, you're still making – you're still doing your job. So the safety equivalents for me would be guys like Devin McCourty – or mm -hmm. Adrian Amos around the league, Amos yeah. in the Packers secondary. Yeah, right. Like we we've been we've had people question our Adrian Amos grade through the years because he doesn't make a ton of splash plays, but we're like, hey, we're grading every play. Exactly. And he's just in position. He doesn't he doesn't have a lot of negatives on his mm -hmm. tape. Devin McCourty doesn't have a lot of negatives on his tape. And there's value in being a safe safety. And there's value in being a safe linebacker, just not it's kind busting of coverages. Actually. Right. It, it is the <laughs> definition. Um, so you don't all have to be Earl Thomas, you yeah. know, crazy range and, and flash plays once every three games. So maybe there's there's something to it. Um, but Quay Walker was just an interesting late riser who, you know, did not have incredible college production. Uh, and we'll see where that slots in with uh, with the Packers in year one. Uh, let's let's look ahead. Yes. To 2023. So, uh, what do we have on the site so far? We got a we have a 2023 draft board. We do not. I, oh, okay. We have some player rankings going up. More will be going up this week, but we have a we have a player list basically I of gotcha. guys to watch on the site. So we always start with the quarterbacks, and last I always like to compare to last year at this time. Mm -hmm. Last year at this time, we were talking about the Spencer Rattlers of the world, but everything came with a caveat, right? It's like we need to see big step forwards from every quarterback that we're ranking here for the 2022 draft class. And then we saw Spencer Rattler gets benched and, you know, we didn't know would Kenny Pickett emerges and we had no idea what was happening this year. You've got your Bryce Young's and CJ Stroud's of the world, but there are names from all over the place getting mocked into like very early first rounds from yeah. all over the place. And, and there's some similarities, you know, 
consistency with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and then it's all the other names. It's, there's a whole lot of what-ifs in there as well. But there's a lot more names, I think, this year. Is that a fair way to sum up next year's draft? There's a lot more yes. quarterbacks to watch. I'm not sure how it's going to shake out, but we're probably going to have a lot more first-rounders than just one. Yes, and I think we already have guys that – uh, just say Bryce Young from Alabama, C.J. Stroud from Ohio State would have, if they were in last year's draft, they would have gone ahead of anyone else. Yep. They, they just already would have. So we're already at that point with a couple guys. This isn't like, oh, Spencer Rattler, hopefully, hopefully he breaks out. It's like, no, those guys have actually been legit in a lot of QB things you need to be legit in. So I, I do think that's why you saw maybe teams like the Falcons or the Seahawks. And obviously the Falcons end up in the third round, but like not pulling the trigger early when quite obviously they could use a franchise quarterback not being willing to say that because they'll be in the mix for next year's guys. And there are probably two that I would feel comfortable putting right now in that mix. So those two, I really like Tanner McKee from Stanford. I get that he doesn't put up gaudy stats. If you watch that offense, no one would have put up gaudy stats. It is a joke offense, but he has ridiculous arm talent, size, and is a talented athlete in his own right. And there are another couple other names in the mix for people and Anthony Richardson from Florida, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, who are those are toolsy, yeah, big what ifs. Those yeah. are the what if guys, in, I mean, in my opinion. Anthony Richardson had games where he just took over yeah. as a runner, Free. and uh, who's it was uh, Nick Fitzgerald at Mississippi State a couple years ago. Remember him? He was big and huge, and he was a good runner. And he, when he held the ball, you couldn't even see mm -hmm. the football. His hands looked so big sometimes. Like that's Richardson is just a monster in everything he brings to the table, but definitely needs more polish as a passer yeah but as an athlete as, a, as an incredible athlete that could make that oh, jump yeah. you have to highlight that guy oh, right yeah. you have to highlight yeah. a Richardson and Will Levis yeah. in that mold as well of you know, he's getting top he? 10 hype already yeah and he's 6'3 230 yeah big arm that's those are the guys that everyone's looking for and then athletic as well so there's there are a number in that mold of bringing a ton of tools to the table and not not six foot like Malik Willis. You know, Bryce Young's the only guy in this class who's not ticking the size boxes wholesale at the quarterback position. Do you think he's he has enough arm talent despite the size and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, I think his arm's yeah. solid, honestly. Yeah. It's I'm trying to think of like a tier I'd put it in. Maybe like See, Deshaun Watson-esque tier of Yeah, Watson talent. doesn't have a cannon. Yeah. I was, uh, I was debating this with someone the other day, the idea of average. Right when you say this guy's an average NFL arm, what are you what are you basing that on? Right, because I would say right. of yeah. the 32 starting NFL quarterbacks, 28, 29 at least have an average NFL arm. But if you're just that's saying, what I was saying, like with the Mac Jones thing, I almost said average. Jones. Well, he's definitely yeah. below average because yeah. he's probably in the bottom ten. But he so. has an ab. But but everyone would say in average. a vacuum, he has an average NFL arm. Yeah. But most starters have an average NFL plus arm, right? Yeah. Most, not a lot of below average arm. And it's like go. average compared to everyone that gets even a sniff in the NFL. Right. Well, again, because we need a baseball analogy here. Mm -hmm. I, at one point, had an average major league fastball, throwing 90 to 93. At the same time, if you put me in the big leagues, I wasn't throwing harder than half the pitchers yeah. there. But I was classified, oh, that's, an, like average, that's an average fastball. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just a, it, it's this baseline of like what you're, what you're working with as far as arm goes. Yeah. So there are some toolsy type of guys. What about uh, DJ Uyagalele <laughs> at Clemson? What happened last year? Because he has an absolute Too many Dr. Cannon. Pepper commercials. That's what happened. No, yeah, he was that's the what everyone wants to say. Was he the first NIL, like, legit commercial? 
Yeah, I think so. Like the Dr. Pepper, he was in a nationally syndicated big commercial because he was sick as a freshman. Like he was really good filling in for Trevor Lawrence. Good. He was a high recruit, and yeah. he's got great tools. That all should have been a, a good sophomore year. His his arm, his release is just – he's got the yips. Legitimately has the yips. He, he is all over the place, and he has the strongest arm in this class. He, he has – like once he hits the NFL, it's like Ryan Mallett tier of arm of where – I love that. I just love an that. unbelievable fastball they could put on it. I mean, it, is, it will be – it will be in the conversation for the fastest, best arm in the league once he gets there, because he's a, he's Jamarcus Russell two point size wise. I mean six six like two sixty, guy is enormous. But yeah, straight up yips, and it wasn't even like bad decisions really last year. He just could not hit. His accuracy was just anything. all over the place. Anything. Yeah. I haven't seen a quarterback feel like they have the yips other than there was a stretch of Blake Bortles where he was throwing the ball, where he literally looked like he was thinking every yes. single throw, like looking at, the old, looking at his hand yeah. coming through type And then of just like the release gets all over, like release is not consistent one to another. You're getting really yeah. long with it. And that was like Uyung Lele last year. So if you're, a, if you're an NFL draft fan, it's, it's like every college season's exciting. But when you're watching this college season, I think we're going to have – some just quarterbacks emerge out of nowhere. But there's a big list to pull from. Yeah. You always do, but it feels like we're, we have a big starting point here. Mm -hmm. um, that's the other thing about last year, by the way. Kenny Pickett did emerge and come out, come out, come out, but he still didn't, you know, we, you didn't have Joe Burrow. You didn't have Kyler Murray. Those guys yeah. legitimately came out of nowhere. Not that nobody had ever heard of them, but they came, like, from a prospect standpoint, it was like, mm -hmm. they're number one overall. That's a slam dunk. We didn't know that a year ago at this time. And then they did. We didn't have that in last year's class. This year, we, we could always have that. Spencer Rattler, man. What if he figures it out in South Carolina? He's extremely talented. Yeah. And maybe it's, you know, a new system will help him play within structure more or whatever, you know, he needs to fix. I still don't know if anyone's touching him with how, like, personality stuff yeah. or not. But, yeah. Or, like, touching him that high. To right. really say he's, you know, number one overall pick high. But, yeah. I, I, do, I will say this about 2023. The positions that are the sexier positions that get the hype, they're going to be better next year. Yeah. You know, corner, or excuse me, quarterback, pass rusher, D-line. There are better players. I think there's – I'm trying to think of the number of positions. I would definitely say quarterback, you'd already have in the 2023 class, would have been the QB1 in this year's past class. Will Anderson on the edge would have been edge one in this class. Jalen Carter, the Georgia defensive tackle. He might have been the best. Would have been DT one. Yeah. Would have been DT one. He would have gone ahead of Jordan Davis in this year's class. Would he have been draft eligible? I think Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end, obviously not a great tight end class, but he would have been tight end one in this upcoming year. Uh, I'm trying to think if there are any other positions. That's probably it. But like those are running back. Also, is the other one. Bijan Robinson would have been RB one in this year's class. Would he have been draft eligible? So there's more sexier positions that will get talked about, and the running back class especially is going to be one that truly could be an all timer this year. All right, well, let's, let's go down that path here. All right, the backs. NFL's been smarter, as we think, oh, we're as gonna far have... as drafting running backs a little bit lower. Um, but the 2017 draft class that had – was that Derrick Henry too? But it was uh, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey. That was 17, right? All those yeah, guys. that was the 17 one. That class – because those guys came in as freshmen, and you were like, oh, that's going to be a special running back class in a few yeah. years. In 2017 – 
Uh, you had Kareem Hunt in there. You had a lot of good running backs. But that was a time when it was more, you know, Leonard Fournette went at four, right? You were more likely to take running backs high. Mm-hmm. I was even more likely to consider running backs that high. I would have taken Dalvin probably 10th, top 10 or whatever. Um, will teams do that? Is the running back class that good that teams will do that? Or if, or if teams smartened up or have we just not seen a class this deep, this high end in a few years? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And truthfully – the fact that it's so deep and that's so good right now, like on paper, would make me not want to draft one more in the first round, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, like, I get that. I can get one in the second. Even if you are one of the teams that would draft a running back highly, like the second round, you're saying to yourself, I can get one of these guys in the second. And now there are some backs that have unique skill sets. Like Devin Achain, the Texas A&M back, is going to run mid four twos probably when he comes out. Even just, just based on like his 100 meter times that he has Texas A&M because he's in the mid low tens. Mid four twos? He is. He can like fly. That. So someone that, you know, you want the mid-4-2s back. You want this Chris Johnson 2.0. Got to go. You're not going to get that every year. So there, there are some interesting skill sets in this class, but it is super, super deep. I am very excited to see. These Deuce guys Vaughn, 5'6", 173. But he's lights out. Is he going to go? I think he's going to go day two. day two, honestly. If I have a big just, dynasty uh, draft this weekend. Got so. Checking out, I'm checking out your board over at pff.com. It's not necessarily in order, like you said, mm-hmm. but you got a list of players. You want, if you're going under the radar, maybe last round. It's probably not under the radar. People know. Dwayne McBride, though, from UAB. Awesome. Yeah, I'm seeing him. Awesome back. I'm seeing him on the list here. I don't know. I haven't watched his high school tape. I've looked into his background too much. But how he ended up at UAB, because his freshman tape at UAB is insane. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of, like, Tyler Smith at Tulsa. I'm like, just went back and watched Tyler Smith's freshman tape. Obviously, the Dallas Cowboys now first-round pick from this past year. I'm like, his freshman tape was insane. Yeah. He's already throwing people around. How? How does that happen where a guy goes to a school like that and is already hitting the ground like he should have been at Bama? You know? Are there any other – so you kind of hinted at it. I was going to ask position groups that are strengths, and you kind of talked about the high end. But let's say defensive line. Is there depth in this defensive line class? Or is it, there's a couple, there's a lot of projection at this time, especially with mm-hmm. defensive linemen, where we put guys pretty high, where it's like, we expect a big step forward because this guy's big, long, athletic. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it mm-hmm. doesn't. Where's the depth looking on the defensive line this year? So we've had what now, three straight bad defensive tackle classes? Yes. I'd say. Yes. There's just been a lack of talent coming to the league. You got to go back to 19, where Quinnen, Ed, Ed Oliver, um, Jeffrey Simmons, that was like the last good DT class. We're like, these guys are good. This year, I think 2023 is going to be like that. Back to that. Like, there's guys that are actually difference makers. Jalen Carter from Georgia. Brian Breesey from Clemson. Number one number overall, overall recruit. recruit. Yep. He did tear his ACL last year. So, obviously, we'll have to recover for that. But those two, Jacqueline Roy from LSU, Gervon Dexter from Florida, like there are guys in this year's class that I think three, four first-rounders, maybe even three, four top 20 guys. I was always wondering if that was just the ebbs and flows of NFL, of college football. You know, they're not they're not developing yeah. defensive tackles, and I think guys that have old three four defensive end, you're not getting like the three four defensive end body type anymore. The guy that's six six mm-hmm. long, those guys are becoming tackles probably coming out of college more than defensive tackles. You're just not seeing as many old school three four defensive ends. Or maybe, or really explosive three techniques because they're playing so many odd yeah, fronts in that, college, and you're just not getting interior three techniques. Types. Not like a p- 
position in a ton of defenses in college. So that's frustrating in the evaluation process, isn't it? Because you just have so many there. A lot of defensive tackles are just space eaters. Well, because in college, yeah, the the sort of genesis of that is that guys can't rush the passer in college. Like guys aren't skilled enough, athletes aren't high end enough that a lot of teams just take their D line and say, "Hey, you're run defenders." Yeah, even Georgia, like Georgia's uses their D line as run defenders, and their linebackers are their blitzers. Their linebackers right. are the guys that got to get home consistently and a lot of teams are trending that way because of just the lack of 295 pound guys that can move you know so and realizing that i can find a 230 pound linebacker that can move a lot easier than i can a 295 pound six foot four defensive tackle so i think you're seeing a lot of that in college whereas in the nfl it's a necessity you cannot just rely on that you're putting your um one like teams or two good at blitz pickup and two you're putting your secondary a lot of risk. And so you need guys that can actually win one-on-ones to consistently win defensively. So it's just a different game along the front seven a lot of times in college. All right, let's wrap it up with this because uh, I know you get uh, – how long have the tailgate podcast been going? You guys – We started as 2-4-1 drafts. I mean, three years. How, I'm sorry, like what, how long uh, – How what's the length of your average podcast? Oh, like saying? that. Uh, about an hour. Okay. Because I know you get a little twitchy after an hour. Oh, it's not like Sam and I were just, you know, we can go keep... for 12 hours and just keep going. And my, my outro is 15 minutes and all that stuff. You get a little twitchy after an hour. So we're going to let you get out of here soon. Um, anything else on 2023 that you want to hit on? And then I want to ask you two, two questions. I think that's it for 2023 for now that I've seen. So, so one question came, well, I'll, I'll get to Sam's question in a minute here. He's got a question for you. Yeah. He's on the road. He's got a question for you. My question is, we, we kind of time. rehash this every year when we get to, to talk. How has your evaluation process changed over the years? What have we learned? And in kind of what we were just talking about with college football, how has college football changed to make life easier or more, more usually more difficult in the evaluation process, right? More RPOs, all these things that make it harder on linebackers, harder on O-line evaluation. How has that process changed over the years for you? So... Obviously, more reliance on traits over the years and less pure football ability at the moment and more open-mindedness in approaching just anyone in the whole, you know, tell me what a prospect can do, not what he can't do sort of argument and really being aware of that, that a lot of times, not necessarily what they can't do is eminently fixable, but you can put guys in positions where their schemes exist to where they can eliminate those or not not ask them to do the things they can't do so that's probably one of the biggest things is just really realizing how much scheme fit or what a guy is asked to do and what he can do at the next level is the most valuable thing so that and like i said the schematic sort of advances of collegiate football versus the nfl i think they're melding to a degree um i think a lot of uh, especially with the quarterback position like a lot of these guys, what was it? When Jared Goff's coming out, everyone's talking about, oh, the air raid. You know, what's the air raid yeah. quarterbacks? No, no one said a peep about that. Goff was good enough, and then yeah. Patrick Mahomes came out of the air raid. It's like, all right, forget that thing. Exactly. So it's like we talk about, you know, the simplic simplicity of some of these offenses guys were in with Matt Howell, Sam Howell, Malik Willis. But it's really – I don't think that's nearly the death knell or for that it was for a lot of guys. And even like 
air raid offensive lineman, Charles Cross going in the first round. You're not your top ten. Not not nearly the big deal that it had been made. Because I think it's like I said, NFL games trending more towards college than it has ever. It's fun, man. We started college football in 2014. 2014. We now have many. I mean, we've got full college football careers for players and then three or four years in the NFL. There's a lot more data that we're yeah. working with here. And I think a lot of this goes back to what I was saying earlier, where maybe teams teams have so much more information. It's not that they're never going to bust or make bad picks or whatever it is, but they're starting to make picks that are more in line with expectation maybe. Um, so there's now the trick is right because you're always going to compare to Moneyball. Mm-hmm. Moneyball wasn't just about get guys who get on base. It was well people don't value getting on base. So what's the next thing we're going to value? So the NFL continues to look for the things that are being undervalued, and uh, there might be less value in the player selection process in the draft. Now we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if that trade picks away is what you're saying. Trade all your picks. I mean, there are legitimately teams. And this is, I love this, man. There are 32 different businesses out there, organizations. And some teams have said, we're going to trade our first round picks because sure things are better. And I I can get behind that now more than I could maybe a few years ago. Not for, not for every pick, mm-hmm. you know, not for Jamal Adams, which by the way, there was a quote coming out from, uh, did you see that, John Schneider? Basically, no. What is that? He, uh, I'm going to paraphrase from some podcast he that I saw on Ben Baldwin's uh, Twitter stream. So I'm just a Parody. potential misinformation okay. provider here because I'm doing it like fourth hand. Fake news. But basically said, we we traded for a player and made him the highest paid player at his position, and that was a mistake. We didn't know what we were doing. Now, the assumption is that that's Jamal Adams. I don't know who else. Jimmy Graham. Could have been Jimmy Graham. Yeah. Who else would that have been through the years? They didn't do that with Percy Harvin. They traded for him, but... I mean, I, I do think they made Jimmy Graham the highest paid, right? So it, so it could have been Graham. So it is little. And he had some basic quote. It was like, we didn't know what our philosophy was at the time. Either way, those were like... in the, That was like after the Seahawks won a Super Bowl and everything. You know, that was... Mm-hmm. So maybe it was before that, but I thought it was an interesting quote. But what, what I was going to get at, I, the idea of the Rams and teams trading mm-hmm. away their first-round picks for established NFL players, it's a viable strategy. I mean, yeah. it's one... And it's not... That's not the end of the strategy... But I think it's interesting that teams go down that road. Yeah. And, and that's what they – but they've used numbers to kind of back it up and say, well, we're going to look at historical first-round picks and we're going to look at what a Matthew Stafford or a Jalen Ramsey or whoever brings to the table and we'll take the established NFL player. I think teams are being more aware of their sort of life cycles, if that makes any sense. That's what it is. Well, because some te- – right? Because yeah. some teams – so the Dolphins had – they made this aggressive move mm-hmm. to go get Tyreek Hill – the Chiefs' life cycle is, well, maybe we, we, we might be better off taking five players instead of one. Yeah. That's, that might be a better yeah. move for us. And that's we why too much, always We have too be... much money in, inlaid into yeah. our roster as it stands. Yeah. We need to step back and go draft heavy. We, you know, the Rams are kind of the opposite of that. And like the teams that have these quarterbacks on rookie deals, whether it's the Bengals, whether it's the Dolphins, whether it's the Cardinals, it's like, well, we need to win now. Like, yeah. Or else it's going to start to get expensive. So that'll, that'll keep things exciting because every team's going to have slightly different priorities and goals. So even if the data is stronger, they're, they're attacking it maybe mm-hmm. in different ways. Um, Sam has a very important question while he's on the road. Okay. He wants to know, why would a man capable of growing hair on his head voluntarily shave it? Mm, that is a good question. Uh, Sam is now a man who cannot grow 
hair on his head. Yeah. At least not all of it. I, I'm doing it to stand with all the the stigma against bald men out there that, oh. to show them that it's be proud of yourselves. Oh, I like it. That's good. That was like the old uh, the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where he's like, he's like head nodding. He head nod the, uh, so you could head nod fellow bald guys. I was walking actually back with Austin right after I did it. I'm like, do I, is there like a nod I got to give to bald guys now? It's yeah, like, yeah, do we do. have to like acknowledge that, hey, we're both, we're both bald. Yeah. So you got more work to do. You got to get, you, sh you should get the, f did you go all the way? Like I went to zero point. guard. I didn't shave it off with yeah. a straight razor, but I went zero guard. Too. I mean, if you're really going to think about solidarity here, maybe we could. I wouldn't be opposed to going all the way shaved. Yeah. It, I had done it. I did it once in college, and it's. I at least have a somewhat symmetrical head, so it's not awful. But, I, I mean, it's it's going to be pretty white, though. Like, once you just shave it, it's not. there's yeah. no sun gets to it, so it's going to be a little egregious. Yeah, Sam had some. I know you guys don't watch our show, but he had some serious um shine issues mm. when he first shaved it we had to get him a powder but there was a show fresh when he freshly shaved his head the viewers were getting blinded it was not good it was coming through the screen it was just was it, it melting was, stuff like the the it was focusing a yeah, ray of light onto you something could not look directly into the youtube stream <laughs> and uh we lost viewers it was a, it was an ordeal so we had to, he had to get some powder and all yeah. that. it was much better we we lost the shine after that so um I, I want to wrap it up with, with one thing here. Yep. And it is, um, so Sam and I are going to be doing a, a, another charity drive. We were looking for what the charity was going to be. And we have something that's happened internally here at PFF that we want to support. So um, I also want to get your take on whether or not Sam can throw 60 miles an hour or not. So that's going to be the next charity drive. I just want to throw this out there to the viewers and listeners. We don't have our own GoFundMe now, but there is one for a coworker of ours at PFF. Her name's Tanya Carruthers. She runs our HR department and she had, basically there was an unfortunate uh, accident recently uh, through a surgery that she had to have that went wrong. And she is, they need medical expenses basically. Um, and, and we need help with her health recovery. So I'm going to have a GoFundMe. I'll put this as my pinned tweet. We'll probably have Sam put it as her pin, uh, as his pinned tweet. She has, this is a separate GoFundMe. It's not through the PFF NFL podcast, but they have a goal of raising $25,000. Uh, we want to contribute as much as possible, our viewers, our listeners for the PFF NFL podcast. So we'll find a way to contribute to this and we'll, we'll set our own goal. Uh, or maybe it's just whenever, she, you know, she can get to her goal, whatever it is, but we want to support Tanya. She's been great for PFF. Uh, we had, it was an unfortunate uh, accident, incident. And um, you can read more about it on the GoFundMe. But I'll put that as my pinned tweet. We'll tweet that out. And we want to do what we can to support Tanya. So that's going to be our next, um, our next project here in the PFF NFL podcast. I'll talk to Sam. We'll figure out what the cutoff is going to be for us to see him throw. Um, but that's what we're going to do. Like, Sam thinks he could throw 60 miles an hour. You're a former pitcher and all that stuff. Sam thinks he yeah. can just roll out of bed and throw 60 can he do it? Is he going to hit 60 or is he going to be low 50s like I think? Man, if he grew up, I don't see, I don't think he, he grew played up some cricket. He's thrown objects. Yeah, but if you didn't throw regularly, you don't develop that the same way. Yeah. I, I don't think 60. I think 50, yeah. Probably I don't 50s, think 60. Right? Yeah, I, don't, I just don't think 60. I'm trying to think. My, my peak, my, the highest I ever hit on a gun was 84. Yeah. And that was like, but I probably, 
you know. But you were throwing every day. I was throwing every day. And, like, when I was, you know, probably right now, I would be lucky to get past 70. And I still, like, throw footballs and Dude, I was throwing 71 to 74 when I pitched to Sam in November. Yeah. That's why I'd, I'd be lucky to throw 70. Yeah. The, um, it just you got to do that motion to do that motion. Sort two, of, you know, sort of thing. There's two angles to take here. I try to explain, even when I was throwing low 90s, after I stopped throwing for a couple months, I was probably like low 80s. Mm-hmm. And then I'd build it back up again because yes. I'd throw every day and I would train to get back. You don't, you, you don't really just like wake up and throw your max velocity. So that's, that's one angle. The other angle is Sam is like, well, little leaguers throw 60 and they're 12. And fair, but they're also kind of throwing every day and training that's it as thing. well. He could get to 60 for sure. Yeah. I, I don't think that'd be crazy. But if he wants to, maybe he's get, throwing with his dad every day. Yeah, playing, if he is, if he is playing with his chat, playing catch out in the road, some long toss, he could maybe get sixty. But yeah, so we're gonna see if Sam can hit sixty miles an hour. And uh, either way, we're gonna try to raise money for our friend Tanya over here at PFF. We'll give you guys more of a cutoff and all that stuff. The other thing you can do, PFF.com, NFL Pod, you get twenty five percent off. Get all your subscriptions. The draft guide. Like if you just sign up today, you get next year's draft guide. You get this year's draft guide. You get three hundred sixty five days of access. Get ready for fantasy football. Get ready for if you're going to, you know, make a few wagers this year, it's all part of your PFF subscriptions, 25% off using the promo code NFL pod. You still have a promo code over there at the t- at tailgate? They you ripped just, them you, off. Push they ours. ripped them all out. Push ours, NFL yeah. pod. NFL pod. Um, maybe I'll call you back at some point this summer to, you know, give you the reps. I'm in the bullpen. Yeah. Arms. We'll get you in. Just let me know. Throwing 84. <laughs> yeah. I got to be throwing 84 by the season. So, yeah, I need the reps. So, if I know Mike, he's going to go in a hole until September Hope that nobody sees he's not doing anything, right? Is that your? I mean, that's is that your goal. strategy? With Austin gone, I don't know who would even like look. Yeah, right? you don't even have a boss anymore. Don't. You don't have a podcast partner. Uh, You're just sitting there, living the dream. That's good. Summer of Mike. We'll have to. Uh, you TikTok? I'm gonna get. Now? I'm gonna get my handicap. I'm gonna get it low on the course. Are I'm you good at golf, Scott? Uh, I'm a six right now handicap. I can. Oh, I'm getting lower though. I've I've had some good rounds. Good for you. Summer of Mike. We're gonna hear Mike's golf stories. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in, man. Appreciate having you. Thanks to everybody for listening. I'll be back on Thursday. I don't know what Thursday's show is going to be. I might go monologue. I might go by myself. Think I could do a show by myself? I- I'm intrigued at the idea of trying, just trying to do one. And that, not necessarily, yeah. I wouldn't go live if I were you. But I like, yeah. just like on my own, try to do a podcast, listen back and be like, does this sound horrible? That's a good idea. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll experiment with going, because yeah. I'm intrigued by it too. Not yeah. for long term, but just to kind of. Yeah. Get all your takes out, you know? I did a yeah. segment last year by myself. You know, it's challenging, though. I, I listened to a lot of Jim Rome because he's the king of, like, the solo. Yeah. Just going off for 20 minutes. Yeah. And it's a lot. picked up a lot of good pointers about how he approaches it. That yeah. Colin Coward does a lot of that. Coward, too. you got to do yeah. some you gotta tactical pauses. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, put on just, some other voices and, yeah. like, other things. Yeah, you got to have a conversation with yeah, yourself. exactly. Are you working off bullet points or there is there a teleprompter involved? It's it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's get the challenge. producer involved just a, a little and then get, the, get yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll try to pick up. Maybe I'll try that on Thursday. I, but, I'll, I'll tune in if you do a solo pod for sure. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> at, least, at, least, at least we'll have one viewer, a listener. All right. So uh, we'll have one more podcast on Thursday. Then I think Sam should be back next Monday. We'll get back at it. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you on Thursday.